I, I am glad that you're all here this morning. To all you fathers, uh, happy Father's Day to you. I hope you have a very, very special celebration uh, with your families today. Um, I, my, my family's a little bit out of, out of whack today. My wife, Julie, is in Kansas City. She's a grader for AP Music Theory exams. Um, and uh, so she's in the process of doing that. Actually, they're, they're working today as well. In fact, last weekend, I had the opportunity to, to be up there with her in Kansas City uh, for a couple of days, and also with my youngest daughter, Rachel, and her husband, Caleb. And on Friday, they all had to work, and so I, I went to the library at Midwestern Baptist Seminary uh, to do a little studying and, and see some new things that had, had been built there on campus since the last time I'd, I'd been around up there. And it was a bit of a, a nostalgic visit for me. Uh, I did my doctoral work through Midwestern Seminary, although most of the time uh, the, uh, it was through an extension that they provided in Little Rock, Arkansas. So there were only about five or six times that I actually had to go to the campus. And, and one of those occasions was to fulfill a requirement called ART, uh, Action Reflective Training. Now, doesn't that sound interesting? <laughs> And it actually kind of was. We did all kinds of crazy, interesting things during the week. And then the last 48 hours, they put us out on the streets of downtown Kansas City. We, we walked into a closed closet at a downtown church. We changed into an outfit that we thought might be more acceptable out on the streets. And, uh, and we spent the next 48 hours learning what life was like out on the streets, as much as you can for 48 hours. Now, we were very fortunate in that they arranged for us to spend the night in a shelter, had a, had a, a sort of a bunk house kind of, kind of thing there where we were going to sp we spent those nights. Um, but other than that, we had to fend for ourselves. And we, again, a fascinating experience. So we, we encountered, we just kind of stumbled into biker Danny Daniels' Holy Ghost Tent Revival on Saturday night. And uh, interesting experience I could talk a long time about, but, but I won't this morning. And, uh, but I learned a couple of things out on the streets of Kansas, downtown Kansas City back in that day. And it may be different now. I hope not, but it may be different now. But I learned two things then. And that was, first of all, that street people did a pretty good job taking care of each other. I mean, we, we found them to be very gracious and very willing to, to help us out with information. I mean, they, they accepted us as, as one of their own. Helped us get to some places where we were interested in getting to and so on and so forth. And so we just kind of got this sense that they did a pretty good job trying to take care of their own. But the second thing I learned is that no one, no one should ever have to go hungry on the streets of downtown Kansas City. I mean, at that time, the, the, the Salvation Army had a soup bread truck that, that made, made Rounds, round after round after round. I mean, they passed by several times that we were out on the streets. You got free soup, free bread, so on and so forth. Uh, the shelter that we stayed in, there was a, a there were a couple of organizations that brought day-old bread, day-old pastries, and and so I, I I realized that there is no reason for anyone to go hungry on the streets of downtown Kansas City. Now that's our world today. The world into which Jesus came was much different than that, right? Much different than that. The common person in Jesus' day oftentimes didn't just live hand to mouth. They didn't oftentimes know where their next meal might come from. There was always the threat that, that actual starvation could possibly be just around the corner. There was not a Salvation Army bread truck 
soup truck. There was not a, 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 an organization bringing day-old bread to those that needed it. It was a hungry world into which Jesus came. In fact, no wonder that he selected a metaphor to describe himself that would have had all kinds of meaning to the world, that world in his day, even as it does to us, but especially in that day, in that hungry world. And what is that metaphor? I am the bread of life. The bread of life. Well, this story that we're looking at today in Mark chapter 6 is an amazing, amazing story. It's the only miracle that Jesus performed that all four Gospels actually record. All four of them. It's commonly called the, the feeding of the 5,000, sometimes the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Let's look at this story. Beginning in verse 30 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance, that they did not even, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, you have to go back a few, uh, several verses actually to realize that the disciples have just now returned from their very first teaching and preaching and healing ministry, and it, which bound to have been very, very exhilarating for them. But at the same time, it must have been terribly exhausted, exhausting. And, and then now they're excitedly telling Jesus about all that happened. And as they're doing so, they're discovering that there are tons of people, hundreds of people that are coming and going and coming and going and coming and going, even to the point that not only do they not have a chance to rest, I mean, they don't even have a chance to eat. And so, gee, in fact, have you ever found yourself in a situation where it just seemed like you know, everybody wanted a piece of you until you got to the point that you know, there were just no pieces left? <laughs> you were ultimately and totally exhausted. That's where these guys were. And the, so the Lord Jesus, their master, in a very loving and gracious way, says to them, well, let's, let's get away. We need to get you guys away for, for a little bit of, of R&R. Well, the quiet place that they were hoping to get away from didn't turn out to be all that quiet. Look at verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. <clears throat> but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, my guess is that when they, when they arrived and the disciples saw that enormous crowd coming, that they probably said to themselves, oh, crud. <laughs> but Mark says that when Jesus saw the crowd, it wasn't oh, crud. He had compassion, compassion upon them. That, that, that's a wonderful word that it, some nine different times in the New Testament is used to describe what Jesus was feeling at the time. It, it, it's a word that describes an emotion that, uh, that, that emits from deep down inside, inside the one's gut and, and pours forth from there. But it, it's, an, it's not just an emotion because every time that we see that it's used of Christ, 
it is always followed by a significant action on his part. It is emotion accompanied by action. And that's exactly what we see that takes place here. But notice also that Mark describes how Jesus viewed those people, that enormous crowd, in the midst of his compassion. He said he saw the people as what? As sheep without a shepherd. Now, you know, for us good old city boys, that just, you know, that's just, we're kind of nonplussed by that, by that expression, right? But for those who know something about sheep and shepherding, that, that's, that's an alarming word picture that, that Mark gives us there. Because sheep without a shepherd were totally and completely lost. They had no ability to be able to find water, no ability to be able to find new pasture, new green grass to feed upon. They were completely defenseless, totally helpless, and totally vulnerable. Jesus saw them as people, as sheep without a shepherd. In other words, he saw them as people <clears throat> who desperately, desperately needed to connect with God and that he was their hope for doing so. He was, gonna, he was the one who would be their hope, their way, their conduit, if you will, for doing so. Tough question, but let me ask, how is your level of compassion for people? I don't know about you, but I, they're, they're, you know, they're <laughs> And you can usually tell if you, if you ride in the car with me <laughs> at how my level of compassion is for, for people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> how is your level of compassion? Well, let me ask it this way. How much are you aware on a day-by-day -day basis that God wants to work in and through your life. Our Lord Jesus wants to work in and through your life by the power of his spirit to touch, to make a difference in the lives of those around you. In the lives of those around you who you would describe, if you got right down to it, as sheep without a shepherd. That he wants you to be a conduit of his spirit into their hearts and lives. You know, back when uh, I think my seminary visit probably reminded me of, of some of these things, but um, my, my first year in seminary, I took a, a class that was kind of a, a real practical class on, on, on ministry, and, um, and they, they taught us various things, how to do baptisms and, and what, how to do a lot of different things. And one particular class, <clears throat> um, he talked to us about, about hospital visits. And he said, he said, listen, he said, listen, guys, you need to realize that uh, when you walk into that patient's room, and so many of those patients need you to be a conduit through which the, the Holy Spirit will touch their lives. And he said, and because of that, you need to be sure that when you pray with them, that you take them by the hand when you do so. So I thought, okay, okay. So about that same time, I, I started my first part-time job working with a church in the city of Dallas. And there came a day not too long after that that I was assigned my first hospital visits. I could tell you several stories, actually, from that very first day. But one particular one, I, I, I was, went to see this one lady, and, and I knocked on her door, and there was no answer initially. I knocked again, and, and finally I heard this, you know, come in. And so I, I stepped into her room, and I immediately smelled smoke. 
Now, this, is, this tells you how far back this was. This was back in the day when you could still smoke in public places, back in the day when it was even okay to smoke in hospitals, even in hospital rooms. But I, I saw no evidence of a cigarette anywhere. And so I, I engaged her in conversation there for a few minutes, and, and then I, I told her, well, I'd, I'd like to, to pray for you, and I, I stuck out my hand to take her hand. Well, she had the sheet pulled up all the way up and, and, and tucked under her chin. And she hesitated for just a moment, and then finally she goes, oh, shoot. I didn't want you to see me doing this, but I need prayer. And so she pulled the sheet back, at which time a, a huge smoke signal <laughs> rose to the ceiling <laughs> from all the smoke that had accumulated underneath the sheet from her lighted cigarette she was holding in her hand. <laughs> Well, compassion conquered the moment. <laughs> and, and amidst that great cloud of smoke, I, I, I got to be the kind of conduit that my professor w was talking about. At least it sure felt that way. And she seemed to respond that way. <laughs> Please know that by, by virtue of the fact that you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that his Holy Spirit lives within you. And not only does his Spirit live within you, but he wants to work in and again in and through your life to touch the lives of others. Who knows how many people out there for whom you may be their only hope as a conduit of His Spirit, for them to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, much less ministry take place in their lives. Are you willing, willing to be a compassionate conduit for His Spirit? Verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so His disciples came to Him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now take note here. Don't the disciples do just an amazing job pointing out the need of the people to Jesus? I mean, I mean they do a great job. Notice they said, yeah, it's a remote place, Jesus. It's already late, Jesus. You need to send the people away so they can find something to eat before it gets any later. They do a tremendous job but pointing out the need. But let me ask you the question. Do you think that Jesus was unaware of the need? <laughs> well, we all, uh, let me speak for myself, it, it, it's so easy to do a, a good job pointing out the needs in our society and culture, isn't it? You know, to get up on my high horse and, and point out, well, there's a problem there, there's a problem there, that's a need there. And, and social media can be a great high horse sometimes, can't it, you know? We can be so good at pointing out the need. But is that really what Jesus wants me to do? Do I really think that he's unaware? Jesus is well aware of every need and every problem. And his answer to us when we're tempted to point out those needs is the same answer that he gave to the disciples in verse 37. But he answered... You 
you give them something to eat. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> Moi? <laughs> Me? You give them something to eat, Jesus said. He doesn't call us into the world to be professional problem pointer outers, does he? I don't think so. <laughs> he calls us to actually do something about the problems. Because think about this. All day, every day, there are coworkers, there are neighbors, there are friends, there are acquaintances, there are relatives all around us who are like sheep without a shepherd who desperately are desperately hungry and need, spiritually hungry. And Jesus is saying to you and me, you, you give them something to eat. You feed them. Well, the disciples are completely blown away by Jesus' answer. And they immediately object in the, last, the next part of verse 37. They said to him, well, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it, them, and give it to them to eat? <laughs> These guys are, are frazzled, aren't they? <laughs> and, and notice here that there are, are essentially two different questions at play here. Two different questions at play. First of all is the where question. Where to get bread, which question Jesus has already answered, right? You feed them. You give them something to eat. But the other question at play here is the how question. The disciples are stuck on the how question. How are we supposed to pay for that much food? That's going to take six months of wages. It is so easy to get stuck on the how question, isn't it? Lord, how in the world are we supposed to do that? How in the world are we supposed to pull that off? some need or some problem out there that we know God has clearly invited us to join him in his work to address that need only to end up getting bogged down <coughs> in the how question. How? 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 I can't help but wonder how often we may have missed an opportunity to join God in his work simply because we got overwhelmed by the how question. We need to remember that if we know God is asking us to do something, if we know that he's calling us to do something, he's already got the answer to the how question. He already, he's already answered that. He just simply wants us to be willing to step forward. Well, Jesus then asked the disciples a key question here, verse 38. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. You see what Jesus is doing? He's trying to shift their focus up away from what they don't have to what they do have. Again, it's so easy there for us to always be consumed about what we don't have versus what we do have. Jesus asked, what do you have? So the disciples go out to look among the crowd and look what they find. Verse 38, 
When they found out, they said, five and two, that's five loaves and two fish. Now, the kind of loaves that they're talking about here were little barley loaves that were probably not much bigger than granola bars. And the two fish, little pickled fish, about the size of, of sardines. Now, interesting, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, that's where John records this same story. John adds the fact that it was a little boy who apparently had packed his dinner, and he's the one that offered it up to the disciples to use. And the disciples then tell Jesus, but what good are these, these five loaves and two fish, what good are these for so many people? So, so right. I mean, an absurdly small amount in the face of such a huge need. But when they put it in the hands of Jesus, look what happens. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. This would have been kind of like if they were attending a huge banquet, how the, the seating might have been arranged. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks to the people. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. He wasn't just providing them a little snack to tide them over. I mean, they were filled. They were filled to the full. And the disciples picked up leftovers, 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. 5,000. I mean, if there were women and children there, it could have been as many as 10,000 or more. You know, I, <clears throat> I don't really know what it's like to be hungry. I've never had to go on go hungry in my life before but I do like to eat as if you couldn't tell right <laughs> and, and I, I know that if I had been the only kid in the crowd that day who thought to pack a meal <laughs> I would have been making excuses in my mind for why, why I should just slip away and just quietly enjoy my, my little five loaves and two fishes all by myself and I, th I think the excuse that I would have probably thought predominantly about was the same one the disciples presented to Jesus right here. You know, what, what, what I have is so little. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's no way that that could be of help. I mean, all these people, I'll just get over here and just enjoy myself. That's not enough to help anybody else. And isn't that one of the most common excuses that we throw up to God? Lord, I, I'm just not smart enough. I just don't have enough smarts. I, I, don't, I don't have enough creativity, God. I don't have enough money, God. I don't have enough time. I'm just not gifted enough. But what are we really doing when we make excuses like that? <laughs> We're assuming that God is going to be limited by what we think that we can do. God's resources are much greater than ours, right? Well, all Jesus needed was that one boy who was willing to step forward and offer what he had, which is just a little peasant boy's picnic dinner. That was all Jesus needed to bring about one of the greatest miracles in all of God's Word. Friends, that's all he needs from us, too. It's not a matter of how, many, how gifted or how ungifted you may be. It's not a matter of what you have or what you don't have. It's just simply a matter of your willingness, your willingness to trust him and step out and do it. 
what a joy it's been almost 22 years now to, to see time and time again. You guys, somebody, God puts something on your heart, you step out, you have no idea how it's going to happen, but you step out and you do it, and God blesses in miraculous ways. I mean, every ministry of our church was started by someone that, that saw a need and simply stepped out to meet that need and allowed the spirit of the living God to work in and through their lives to meet that need. Friends, we walk past so many sheep who are without a shepherd, who are despairingly hungry, spiritually hungry, day in and day out. Are you willing, are you willing to be the conduit? Are you willing to be the one who will take to them the bread of life, the only bread that truly satisfies, the only bread that, that fills the soul? Are you willing? Let's pray together.